Yeah, that's right. I'm pretty sure the next time I buy something from Amazon, I'm not going to get a hand-signed letter from Jeff Bezos in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. He might be listening to this podcast. He might be be thinking, you know, I should be doing that. I'm sure he's a big fan. Welcome to the Active Marketer Podcast, where we talk about how to design, automate, and scale your business to the next level using sales and marketing automation. You can find out all the tips, tactics, and techniques you need to get more customers and sell more stuff over at theactivemarketer.com. Now, here's your host, Barry Moore. Hello, listener, and welcome to the Act Marketer Podcast, a podcast where we talk all about sales, funnels, and marketing automation. And this week, we're going to talk about something near and dear to my heart, the onboarding sequence. I think it's one of the most crucial and one of the most important automations you can have in your business for a number of reasons, which we'll get into in the show. But I'm always keen to talk about how we craft the very best onboarding sequence for our new customers. People have decided they wanted to part with their hard-earned cash to buy our products or service. We want to make sure that we look after them as best as we possibly can. So today, we're going to talk all about onboarding sequences with Ian Brody. Ian works with consultants and coaches. It helps them get more clients. He's been named one of the top 50 global thought leaders in marketing and sales. And his book, Email Persuasion, has been the number one book on email marketing on Amazon for over a year. So who better to talk to about onboarding sequences than Ian Brody? So let's jump into this week's episode on how to craft a great onboarding sequence. All right, so I'd like to welcome to the show Ian Brody. Ian, welcome. Hey, great to be here. So how are things on your side of the world today? It's still the morning over here, Barry, but it's looking like it's going to be a relatively sunny day, which is a miracle for Manchester. (laughs) Yes, it is. All right. Well, Ian, I I got you on the show for a couple of reasons. One is because, you know, you put out some great content around coaching and how to get more clients and how to get more customers. But one of your recent kind of uh, uh, videos was about onboarding, and I'm a big uh, freak about getting your onboarding right. Uh, You want to look after those customers that have already bought from you for a number of reasons. So I thought we'd get you on the show to talk about some elements of a of a successful onboarding sequence or an onboarding campaign, what to put in, what to leave out, how long it should mm. be, all those kind of great things. So so first of all, when you when you're thinking about putting together an onboarding campaign for uh either a product or a service, is there much of a difference between how you would approach those two things? Um I suppose uh, yes and no in that um there's a couple of things in there. Obviously, with a service, you're going to be interacting with a client a little, um, rather more than with a product. So I think that there are more opportunities naturally um, to onboard in, in a face-to-face manner. So when you know if you if you're having a service, then you're going to be you know having let's say you're a coach, you'd be having coaching calls with the client. So you can build in some of the onboarding and relationship building and, and getting things right from day one into the natural sequence of the, of the coaching calls. Whereas with a product, um, it may well be delivered purely electronically, et cetera. So with a product, there could be a temptation. And a lot of people probably get into products because they want a more of a hands-off business. Um, and there could be well a te- could well be a temptation to just you know deliver the product and then leave the leave the customer to it without doing so much 
personalized yourself. I mean, that, that, that's always always the thing you've got to weigh up. And with, with a product, also often the price point is lower. With a service, um, often the price point is higher. So you have more leeway to do more personalized, tailored onboarding. With a product, you probably want to be automating more of the onboarding or some combination where you send something automated, but then triggers a personal reaction from the from the customer and then you react to that. So there's a, there's kind of all sorts of variables in there. But largely with the, with the services, probably more you're going to do. Um, and there are more opportunities to do it. So you have to work a little bit harder with the product, I think. Yeah, and I think I think especially product-based people seem to be so focused on traffic and conversions and getting new customers through the door, they often kind of uh, forget about the ones that they've got. You know, once the cash register rings, that kind of <laughs> tends to be when they, they forget about it and move on to finding the foraging for the next customer. Yeah, I think it's one of the interesting things about subscription models of products that are that perhaps changing that. Um, that the, obviously, if you sell a, if you sell someone a thousand dollar product, then you know the money's in the door as long as they're not refunding. In theory, um, you kind of move on to the next one and focus on them. But with a subscription based model like a membership site, obviously, if you stop doing great stuff for that client or customer, they stop paying. So there's almost an, you know, as we switch towards um, more subscription models, as the software world's going with software as a service, um, I've certainly found with the software I've bought, you're getting better service from people on an ongoing basis um, when, when it's software as a service, because they know if you if they stop giving that to you, you know, you stop, you stop paying. So although you might look at... Um, software and think, well, I'd much rather pay a certain amount up front and never have to pay again than pay than pay monthly. I've, I've moved towards a model where I much prefer paying monthly because I know I'm just going to get more from it. And I think we're seeing that in the in the product world as well, where in terms of information products, whereas if you're, if you're paying monthly for a membership, I think you get more from it simply because there's there's more incentive for the, uh, for the marketer behind it to keep doing great stuff for you. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. It really is you as the marketer really keeps you honest and keeps you focused on the ball as far as retaining those customers and, and exceeding their expectations so that they don't leave you or they don't churn as the phrase certainly does. I think uh, there's another little nugget of gold there we kind of glossed over in the fact that marketing automation maybe kind of sometimes gets a bad rap because it's got the word automation in there, which can be cool. Mm seem cold and impersonal to a lot of people, but now uh, you brought up a good point there is that you're using, you can use marketing automation to automate the human touch points. You know, you want, uh, you might set up some triggers to alert you yourself or your support staff that to reach out and, uh, and welcome a customer personally, or send them a card, mm. send them something in the mail. So the automation isn't simply just pumping out emails to people behind the scenes, but also triggering those points in your business where it's in your best interest to get out there and get in front of the customer in a personal manner as well. So I, I didn't want to gloss over that because it's quite an important point that a lot of people seem to miss out on. Yeah. I mean, that, that really, I think, I think that is one of the, my background is, as you said earlier, is with service-based businesses. And that's one of the differences with that, uh, I think service businesses can take advantage of. I think product businesses can as well, especially when you've got a, high, a higher price point. But certainly with a service-based business, um, rather than you know seeing you know if you're Amazon, I guess then you 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 know you're pumping out emails, and the the last thing you want to do, people to do is to actually reply to you and interact with <laughs> that's, you. That's <laughs> you, right. you. You Pick want them just to click buttons and buy stuff. Exactly. You don't want any of that. So you hide that you hide the phone and whatever. But obviously with a with a, a higher price point business. The more what you know is the more you interact with a customer, the more likely they are to stay. Unless you're some kind of awful monster who interacting with you would be horrible. But as long as you're a you know a good person, you've got lots of value to add. 
interacting with you is a good thing. And I think we sometimes, just as you said earlier, we sometimes forget that with marketing automation. We assume, ah, I've got to automate everything. Whereas you can actually use it to generate more interaction. So as you said, you can use it to trigger you to reach out and to, and, and to call a customer, for example. Or what you can do is you can trigger the customer to do something. So you can send out an, uh, an, an automated email a couple of days after they've um, signed up for something, for example. But you can ask them a question. You can get them to reply. Um, and what you can do, and you can do that both for paying customers, you can do it for new email subscribers as well. And the thing it's going to do is um, only a certain percentage are going to hit reply and email you or call you or whatever it is you ask them to do. So, you know, let's say you had a, you know, a thousand people subscribe to, you, to your emails. You couldn't, you couldn't phone all of them. You couldn't, the minute they subscribe, there's no way you could email them all personally or phone them all or whatever. It's just not feasible. However, if you send an email to a thousand people and said, you know, hey, what's your biggest problem? Hit reply and we maybe chat about it. Maybe only you know five percent of them will reply. So five five percent of a thousand is fifty, and you could certainly do a do a personalized email reply to fifty of them. So what you're doing there is you are making it the automation actually means you get more personal interaction than you could possibly get if you had a purely personal business with no automation, because it would be just too overwhelming to get the personal interaction and to trigger it. Yeah, for sure. You're using that automation to bubble up your most responsive clients or customers or yeah. leads, and and then reaching out to them personally. But that reminds me of a story. I was working as a, I was working as an e-commerce manager for a travel company uh, here in Australia. And uh, we had launched a new product and I was keeping tabs on, on the bookings and the, the thousandth booking had come in um, from someone. So uh, I got that woman's email address and I reached out and I sent her an email personally. I was like, thank you so much. Uh, You know, you are the thousandth customer of our new service. Um, We'd really like to reward you with a, you know, a free night stay somewhere. And, um, and I didn't hear back from her. I was a little bit surprised. A couple of days went past and uh, didn't hear mm-hmm. any back from her. So I got her email uh, out of the reservations. I called her up <laughs> and I said, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's Barry Moore here. I just wanted to thank you for being the thousandth customer. She goes, oh, no, I did read that email. I just thought it was some automated thing that, and, and I just ignored it. And I'm like, no, no, that was a real email. It was a real email from a real person. It didn't come from a real so that was your strategy is yeah, to email right. everyone and tell them they were the thousandth customer. That's right. That's right. So, <laughs> so it does pay to reach out every now and then. All right. Well, I think we've covered basically you know, why you want to have an onboarding sequence. If you don't understand that already, is, is, is you're probably not going to stay in business too long. Let's talk about the what. Let's talk about you know what a good onboarding sequence can do for mm-hmm. you. So what are the what are the things that you as a marketer, you as a business owner, what are the things a good onboarding sequence can do for you? For me, it's absolutely crucial because it sets the... I think, I think about the psychology of this stuff a lot. And for me, the onboarding sequence, um, it links into when you when you meet, if you let's say you meet someone face-to-face, um, what you know is that the, the first impression you get in that meeting when you're talking to them, really it, 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 it creates the lens through which you view all future interactions with them and, and how you interpret it. So if you meet someone and you immediately think, hey, they're a really nice person and then they're a really generous person. And then later on, they offer you something for free, you know, free copy of their report or whatever. You're going to think, hey, that's really generous of them because it fits in with the pattern that you already think of them. If you uh, meet someone and you think, oh, I don't really like this person and they seem a bit self-interested and they do the exact same thing later, they offer you some kind of free thing. Instead instead of you thinking they're, they're being really generous, you're kind of second-guessing them thinking, well, I wonder what their motivation for offering me that free thing is. I bet you they're trying to manipulate me into buying something. So how, how that first impression is set colors the rest of the interaction of course over time you can change people's perceptions of you but it's it's really hard work if you've created the wrong impression 
um, early on. And, it, you know, it's exactly the same thing when people, you know, sign up for your emails or, or they buy a product. If they sign up for your emails, then what's going to happen is if you create a good impression early on, they're going to keep opening those emails. You know, you're not going to see the the precipitous drop off in open rate after the first few emails that you often get. If you, if you get it right and you create the right impression and you've onboarded them well with your emails, they're going to keep opening them at a high rate and they're going to keep taking action. Or as a customer, I think one of the really crucial things as a customer, um, is, especially with a with a with an ongoing we talk about subscription programs, those first few interactions in their head. You know what it's like with, uh, what they call it buyer's remorse. Exactly. The, that you, you buy something and there is a, a real risk. The minute the money's gone out of your, your, your account, you know, immediately there's this, you've, you've got over those kind of endorphin highs of, of making the purchase. Um, and then you think, no, have I made the right decision? And if that making the right decision thing is not reinforced early on, then begin, people are going to begin to think, I, I've made the wrong decision here. Oh, no. And they're going to start looking for reasons why they've made the wrong decision. They're going to look for anything you do. They're going to interpret in a negative way if you made a bad impression. On the other hand, anything you do, they're going to interpret in a very positive way if you've made a good impression. So, um, it, you know, if you haven't made a good impression early on, so for even simple stuff like if they don't get a receipt early on or they don't get a nice welcome email or something to make them feel as if, they, you know, or something congratulating them and telling them what a great decision it was and guiding them to some of the great resources they've now got. They're going to start thinking, oh, have I, you know, have I made that right decision? And they're going to start thinking, mm, yeah, I'm not sure how long I'm going to stay as a member of this program. And they might even think they're going to refund if they bought a product. So for me, those first initial interactions have a huge impact. As you say, it can show up in, in you know, either lots of customer services, you have to deal with a disgruntled customer or, or very little customer service and, and real revenue stuff in terms of how long are people going to stay as part of a membership program? What, how likely are they to refund if they bought product? A lot of that comes from those initial few days. I mean, the, the biggest reason why people are going to refund a product is if they, is if they don't see that they're getting value from it. The, and and value is going to and and a lot of times we all know this people will buy something and they just won't use it yeah. you know it'll sit on a shelf so if you don't encourage and get them to start using the product they're probably not going to see value from it now it depends on their own psychology some people might think well it looked really good it's my fault i haven't used it i won't refund it but on the other hand you've got that kind of and there are some people who refund anyway <laughs> but you've got that bulk of people in between who will keep hold of the product and keep using it if they're getting value from it um, and you you need to make sure they are getting value from it. So that onboarding is really vital from that perspective as well. Yeah, and uh, I think I'll just loop back to a couple of points you made there. So uh, to highlight those to the listener in that, you know, yeah, it's great to look after your customer. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. But the there's some things that a good onboarding sequence can do from a selfish point of view of you as the business owner. Um, and I think you mentioned, I've highlighted a few there. It's like one, you want to head off any buyer's remorse that that person might have. Mm -hmm. So uh, a good onboarding sequence will do that. It'll make them feel comfortable about, about their purchase. It'll head off. You can use it to head off support desk tickets or calls to support um, by highlighting some common pitfalls or um, including a kind of maybe a frequently asked questions email or something mm -hmm. in your onboarding sequence. You want to make them feel warm and fuzzy and engaged in your product or service, so they're using it. So if it's a monthly recurring uh, kind of subscription model, they're getting it that product or service embedded into their lifestyle or their business so that they don't want to refund it. Like you said, you want to get them using it straight away. Mm. Um, so they're getting the most out of it. And that's exactly what you want to include in your onboarding sequences here. Thank you so much for joining the, our membership. Here's the best bits 
I think you can get started with straight away um, and get them onto the best things straight away um, so they can see the value instead of making them hunt for it and in the deep, mm. dark reaches of your forum somewhere. So especially the stuff that especially the stuff that's going to give them a quick win. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and in, in any product or any membership program, you'll have some things that are really brilliant value and great, but they take, you know, months before someone's going to see a payback from it. And you have some things where people are going to get an immediate, you know, kick injection of revenue, whatever it is they, they joined the program for. And you want to be pointing people towards those as well. All right. So someone's got a product or a service. They're sitting down to craft their uh, onboarding sequence for a new customer. How do we work that crafting of our sequence process? Where do we start? Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna describe some things that I think a good onboarding sequence, a perfect onboarding sequence, would have. I'm gonna kind of caveat it beforehand by saying, don't try and do all of this at once if you haven't got an onboarding sequence already, because you'll kind of kind of completely overwhelm yourself. So these are the again you know, three or four things to think about. Start with one of them. Is is the first thing? So so basically, first thing to think about is. I, th- I think three things that, that you've got to have in any decent onboarding sequence. So the first of those three things, and th- this uh, this kind of applies to everyone. This is generic. I'll talk about some more specific things later. So firstly, you've got to deliver what you promised. And that, is, you know, is is for an onboarding sequence where someone's a, a customer, they've joined a membership program, they bought a product, they become a client, or even just become an email subscriber, because usually you're offering them some kind of free lead magnet there. So you've got to deliver what you promised. And that that sounds obvious, but sometimes it's forgotten. So, you know, with a with a face-to-face service, often you'll, you know, you, people will sign up and the transaction will come through on your credit card system. But if you, you, that leaves people kind of thinking, all right, has it gone through? Okay. Has the payment worked? Um, have I got my receipt? Is it, so simple things like getting back in touch uh, on a, for a service thing, to, you know, to, to make sure they've got the receipt really quickly, to confirm the arrangement, to, you know, phone them up and say, hey, welcome on board. Let's talk about when we can meet, et cetera. But but if it's a if it's a product, make sure they've got you know they can access it. So make sure they get really easy instructions for logging in. And of course, for many people logging into a membership program, there's it always goes wrong for someone. Um, oh, some people are always a bit more technologically um, disadvantaged than others, and they have challenges. So make sure you know monitor whether they've log- logged in or not. Make sure your your system can tell whether they've logged in either by checking they've gone to the first dashboard page, or you know you're getting some feedback from WordPress that the logins worked okay or whatever. So make sure make sure they've logged in. If they haven't logged in within a day, drop them an email just to make sure they've actually got what they what they were looking for. Because that's the first thing. If people don't get what they bought or what they signed up for, they're going to be severely disappointed and you're immediately off on the wrong foot. So that's the first thing. Deliver what you said. The second thing is you, you want to be looking to build more of a personal relationship with people. Now, obviously, that's going to happen in a service um, when you interact with them and you deliver that service. But I think you also want to be doing that with a product or even just a, an email subscriber because it's that personal relationship that binds them to you over and above the pure transaction of is this product any good or not? And, you know, on a, on a positive sense, if they really feel close to you, they, they think you're on their side, um, they really like you. That can get them more benefits, um, but even just as a kind of protection mechanism, if if you know if you, if you screw a bit of customer service somewhere, the fact they like you gives gives you a bit of leeway. They, they'll 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 put up with a little blip um, if they like you um, until you can fix it. Whereas if they if they, if you haven't built that personal relationship, then you have a little blip with customer service, like your website goes down for half a day or whatever. They'll immediately be wanting to refund and they'll be feeling angry. But if they're friends with you and they're on your side and they like you. They'll put up with it. Oh, poor Ian. 
his, his sight's gone down for half a day. I'll just go and do something else. So you want to be kind of trying to build some form of relationship. And that means that means the interaction we talked about earlier about triggering interactions. So relationship comes through personal stories and examples and building empathy. So if you're if you're giving someone a piece of content and you can roll it up in a story about how that happened for you or a client you worked with, et cetera, and they get a sense of who you are, it, it can happen through the format you use for sharing your information. So um, if in your membership program or in your product, you have an introductory welcome video with a video of you talking about the product and welcoming them and uh, telling them about the main features, et cetera, obviously that's going to build a bit more of a personal relationship than just having a PDF document that guides them to the right place. Now, obviously, uh, a, you know, face to a, a, a video of you takes a lot more work than just writing a PDF or, or creating a, a screen capture, but it can it can have a big impact. So it's worth doing at least for the welcome stuff. And then finally, it's uh, in terms of the the personal relationship, it's the interaction. So you know, a day after they've logged in, uh, make sure you send them an email or a couple of days after. Are you getting on? Okay, is there anything I can be doing to help? Maybe a few days after that, do you want to get on the phone? Do you want to speak about, um, have you found all the resources you're looking for? So make sure you're interacting with them and triggering them, emailing you. And that goes beyond just your emails. You know, as we, as, you, as you said earlier, Barry, you can get on the phone and speak to them. Um, I used to, in my own personal membership program, um, I used to... W- the days where I collected uh, physical addresses on the purchase, I used to send them uh, something through the post. And in my case, it was just a welcome letter that I hand signed, uh, but it made an impression. People would email me back and say, oh, you know, one guy even said, well, I can't, I can't leave the program now, now that you've actually written it, because <laughs> no one does that. You swine. <laughs> I'm stuck in the program now. Um uh, or you can go even a bit further. You know, you could say you could. This comes into something else I'm going to talk about. But you could send them uh, instead of just a letter through the post. You could send send them a memory stick with uh, with some of the stuff from the program on to make it easier for them to to get access to. Or you could. I remember. I think it used to be Ryan Dice always said that the the biggest gift, the, the most successful gift he ever used for membership programs was always food. If you send them brownies or oh, yeah. or a you know whatever, it kind of adjusted. Food is like almost like a tribally. It's a kind of personal gift between two people. helps to helps to form a relationship. And the final thing, I think, so the, of the three, the first is deliver what you promise. The second is build a personal relationship, and the third one is um, unexpected value. Um, and this goes right back to those of Red Cialdini um, uh, with the the reciprocity thing. You're always trying to build reciprocity, do something good for them, so they'll do something good for you. And in the experiments they've done about reciprocity, um, what they often find is that uh, the 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 number one um, thing that causes you know a waiter to be tipped um, the most is not only if the waiter does something nice for them like leaving them mints, it's also if the the waiter does that in an unexpected way. So maybe leaves them a little tray with a mint each, and then he walks away, then turns back and says, "Oh." You've been such great customers. Here, here's an extra mint each, or something like that. So it was the fact that the the extra thing they got was not expected increases the tips significantly. And it's the same with your your kind of membership program, a product you sell, people being customers, you know, you're, you're just signing up for your emails. There's always a kind of transactional exchange. I pay you money and I get X. But if they then get something they didn't expect, like a, a bonus video training or something something special for them, um, or, a, you know, and if, if they're just signing up for your emails and they got a free lead magnet PDF, if you send them a little video version of it later, whatever it might be, something they didn't expect is going to really make them think, hey, you know, I've, I've signed up for the right thing here. I am really in a good place and I'm going to stay for as long as possible, as opposed to, okay, well, I got what I paid for. 
and and they're beginning to mentally check out. Yeah, for sure. And I think all of us have come across those people online who who provide such great value that even if they don't have a product you want, you're just kind of waiting for them to come up with one because you like them so much. <laughs> There's one guy I've been following for years, and he's so generous with his content that I'm, uh, you know, he didn't really have anything that I wanted, but I'm just like waiting for him to come out with a product that I did want. As soon as he did, I bought it straight away. I didn't even hesitate just because he's, he's been there providing value for so, so long. Then, and I really he, wanted to, I really wanted him to win. You know, I wanted him, I wanted absolutely. to find some, that reciprocity. I wanted to find some way to repay all the content that he shared um, with some cash. So um, I don't think you can undervalue that kind of generosity and, Indeed. and reciprocity. All right. So just to review that, deliver what you said, build a personal relationship and, and provide some unexpected value. And there's another point you touched on there was the, uh, you know, sending people some real physical email. And I've heard other marketers refer to that as a lumpy mail. So if you can send them yeah. something that isn't just a letter, something that's a bit lumpy, like, oh, what's in there? They open it up and uh, uh, that goes a long way to cementing that relationship as well. And it's a little, it's a little bit ironic, isn't it? They, <laughs> that, you know, we, everybody used to look forward to getting emails back in the day and now <laughs> nobody gets post mail we've, we've gone, come full circle and started using email automation to send people oh, letters in the post. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, that leads into another question is how long do you typically run these onboarding sequences for? So, you know, what's, where's that fine line between providing that value to somebody and annoying the hell out of them <laughs> with, with, with well, I think, too much information? Yeah. I, mean, I think, I think with, with with onboarding sequences, because you, you, they're all about giving good stuff to people, I think you, you can you could in theory go for quite a long time. But going back to that thing about it being the first impression that counts. So if it's a if it's an onboarding sequence for someone who's become an email subscriber, you know I think the first few you know the first half a dozen messages, the first few days are really the crucial period. With a membership program or a product, I think it's a bit longer. They've automatically got a. Um, a bigger tie to you. They've paid some money. Um, there's there's more of an expectation they'll get more, and that it lasts for a bit. That it lasts for a bit longer. So I, I'd I'd usually say certainly for for a new product, probably at least a couple of weeks. So what I think for of when people join my own membership program, for example, is obviously you know the minute they join up, they get their receipt and they get a you know welcome. Um, email that kind of describes what it is they're going to be getting, points them in certain directions. Um, as soon as I can after that, I'll record them a personal video. So I will, um, it obviously it depends on the price point of your product. For a $7 ebook, you're not going to record a personal video, but mine's a $97 a month program. So it's certainly worth me, if that personal video gets someone to stay for an extra month as a member, it's certainly worth doing. But I think it's just a nice touch anyway. So I'll record a personal video, get that to them usually sometime within the first couple of days. And that, then I plug that into the system. I Like you, I use active campaign. So I just kind of plug that in there and it gets automatically sent out. In parallel with that, I've got a, you know, are you getting on okay email that goes out just to make sure they're getting value from it. And then a couple of days after that, I have a, another way of getting value from the program, which talks about the personal interaction and tries tries to encourage them to ask me questions. And probably about a week after that, they'll get another email from me about the the free marketing critiques they get as a, as, as for being a member of the program. Um, and what I would also advise doing when it, when it's a paid when it's a, if especially if it's a membership program or, or a subscription, um, look at the drop off points um, of of members. So if you're finding that you're you know losing members after thirty days because the first payment's coming, make sure you're delivering a lot of value and you've got some kind of interaction just before that thirty day period. So that kind of gets them over that hump. If you find you've got another you know drop off big drop off period you know ninety days in. 
then make sure you've got something around that. So it's probably less around length in total um, with, with with a membership program and more around when are the key drop-off points where you need to be making sure your relationship is at its highest. So obviously, you know, if it was 180 days you were losing members, you wouldn't want to do something in the first few days and then never speak to them again for, right, and then right. try and revitalize the relationship after 180 days. But what you are doing is, as well as keeping regularly in touch, you're putting a special effort in just before that uh, that that drop off point that you've picked up from your from your data. Yeah, good point. Good point. So um, I guess that's the real point of all this marketing automation is that it's built around your customer's behavior. So mm. um, there is no one size fits all solution to this stuff. You really have to know your customer avatar, as you said. You know what are their what are the the results they're trying to get out of your product or your service. Um, what's the best way for those to get them to get those results? And then where where are they dropping off so you can kind of head off that churn uh, and keep them in the tribe, so to speak? Excellent. Yeah, I think there's a nice combination there. You, you're absolutely right with the with the customer avatar. Um, you can feed a lot of that into your early emails because early on in your emails, you don't necessarily know a lot about people other than the fact they've signed up. So you're working kind of on your avatar. Um, and I, I like to, if it's if it's email and they haven't, you know, email subscribers and they haven't bought anything yet, then what I'm thinking about is what do they need to know and feel in order to be ready to buy? And I'm trying to build some of those factors into the emails. If they've already bought, then maybe you're thinking what do they need to know and feel to be ready to go to the next level or to make sure that they stay on and they're very happy, um, you know, with, with their purchase. So you, you're basing a lot of the early transactions on your avatar. Later on, you can do a lot more of your emails can be more behaviorally driven, either generally, so lots of people drop off after 90 days, let's do something there, or individually, you know, this person seems to be, and and, and you can get, you know, increasingly with marketing automation, if you're using a system like Active Campaign, for example, you can tell what pages people are visiting on your site and what they're doing. Or if you're using tools like Intercom, um, that can interact uh, with with what people what people are doing on on the system, and you can be generating messages that appear in kind of chat boxes and things like that. But you're basing it on what people are doing. Are they consuming? Because um, if they're not consuming your content, if all of a sudden they've stopped using the membership site, that's that's a pretty surefire sign that shortly afterwards they're going to quit if they're not using it anymore. And, you know, unless, unless the price is so low that they they don't even notice the the payments going out. But normally, if people stop using the site or the system, you know, they, they they're going to leave a membership program. So you can pick that up and you can start um, doing the doing a kind of an are you okay email or is there anything I can help with? You can offer to guide them through some stuff. Maybe they've got a particular challenge. And of course, you've also got surveys and things you can do. So I always do an exit survey if people ever leave the membership program. Not that that's ever a great idea for them to leave my program, of course, but some do, believe it or not. Um, so I do a little survey and find out why they left. And always the number one reason they left, um, it's about 80% of the time, is they were just short of time. They, they were finding they weren't using the um, the resources because they just didn't have enough time um, to, to do the kind of marketing that they, they were learning. Well, that is a clue that in more of my onboarding emails or more of the resources and content that are there on the site, I should do something on helping them to find the time to implement what they're learning. And I should get that piece of content to them very early on so that all of a sudden they, you know, they know how to schedule things into their diary, move things about, and they can carve out a couple of hours a week to work on doing marketing from the program. And then there are going to be less people dropping off because, um, because they haven't found the time. So you're kind of basing your emails as you go over time to more on what's important for them individually and more what you've found from the data is important for your group of members or customers as a whole. 
Yeah, super important information there that, you know, if you can find out where they're leaving, as you said, you can tweak your program or, or even come up with, you know, new products, maybe done for you services around the things that are the hardest to implement so that, that mm. they can trade money for time instead of having to leave altogether. Yeah. And you can also use, you know, uh, while you were just talking there, I was just thinking about some of the ways you could actually track that inactivity inside inside a membership site. So for example, you could have some sort of inactivity campaign set up or inactivity sequence set up inside your marketing automation platform to check those people who haven't visited any pages for a certain number of days and then reach out to them or maybe even use lead scoring in advance where someone who has a really low lead score, uh, sorry, using lead score in reverse rather, someone yeah. who has a really low lead score, reach out to those people who haven't opened or clicked or engaged with your content and try and bring them back into the fold. Yeah, it's all part of the power of kind of a more a more advanced um, approach to email marketing or marketing automation. And, and obviously you need the tools underneath to be able to do that. But, you know, increasingly those are available to people um, at an affordable price for, for, the, for the, you know, the masses, the, the, you know, without having to be a mega corporation to be able to do that. And the nice thing is the mega corporations tend not to. You know, the, uh, so th there's a little, I think there's a bit of an edge that some of us smaller business can have if we put the effort into um, getting that engagement and getting that onboarding right. We can uh, we we can have customers who stay with us longer and buy more from us than uh, people who are kind of banging out a one size fits all program and, and never doing anything on top of it. Yeah, that's right. I'm pretty sure the next time I buy something from Amazon, I'm not going to get a hand signed letter from Jeff Bezos in the mail. A couple of days later. <laughs> you never know. He might be listening to this podcast. He might, he might, be. It, it might be thinking, you know, I should be doing that. I'm sure he's a big fan. Uh, <laughs> all right, Ian. Thanks. That was really some some great information there. So. Uh, I always like to leave the listener with some actionable tips. So they're sitting there, they're at home, they're thinking about their business. They don't have, currently have an onboarding sequence. What's the very first step they can take uh, today to get started? I would I would just do a couple of things. Firstly, obviously, resolve to create an onboarding sequence. <laughs> That's right. Um, make sure you have your customer avatar developed and, and drawn up so you know what it is that, that would um, persuade them to do what it is you're looking f to do. So as a customer, to retain them as a customer, to not to not refund. So what would make a great impression on them? And then think about what unexpected value can I deliver? Fantastic. Well, Ian, I really want to uh, thank you for taking the time out to share your experience with all the listeners. And if they want to reach out and find out more about you and what you do, where, where's the best place for them to do that? A couple of places. Um, you can find my main stuffs at www.ianbrody.com um, and just go there, read the stuff on the blog, sign up for the emails. Obviously, you can witness my email subscriber onboarding process in play there. Um, or I have a, a site for my, my book, Email Persuasion. People can go to www.emailpersuasion.com. There's a whole bunch of kind of free video training about email marketing generally there. Fantastic. Well, once again, Ian, thanks and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with all your content online. Cheers. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. I'd like to thank Ian for coming on and spending his time with us today. And I'd also like to thank you, listener, for spending your time here at the Active Marketer Podcast. If you'd like to get the show notes and the links for everything we talked about in this episode, head over to theactivemarketer.com forward slash onboarding. And while you're there, Leave us a comment down below the show notes. Tell us about the best onboarding sequence you've seen or tell us about some of the things that you're using to great success in your onboarding sequences. So we see you next week. In the meantime, get out there and design, automate, and scale your business to the next level with sales and marketing automation. See you, everybody. Mm -hmm.
Thanks for listening to the Active Marketer Podcast. You can find the show notes and all the latest marketing automation news over at theactivemarketer.com.